Hello, and welcome to the IQT Podcast. Today's episode is hosted by BeNext, the life sciences arm of IQT that continues to identify, vet, and execute strategic investments in biotechnologies. BeNext's work is dedicated to the essential task of scaling up and industrializing the rapid design and manufacturing of medical countermeasures, particularly diagnostics and vaccines. This podcast series focuses on the technologies needed to fight the threat that infectious disease epidemics pose to national security and beyond. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, I'm Kevin O'Connell, Vice President at BeNext, which is the life sciences arm of IQT, singularly focused on the threats infectious disease epidemics pose to national security. Today, we have a terrific guest on the podcast, Jason Kelly, co-founder and CEO of Ginkgo BioWorks, which is an IQT portfolio company. We're excited to have you join us, Jason. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kevin. So several months ago, we hosted Jason's colleague, Patrick Boyle, who's also a co-founder of uh, Ginkgo BioWorks, just as the response to the COVID-19 pandemic was really gearing up. Uh-oh, and- that's not good. Yeah, Patrick's a lot smarter than me, Kevin, so it's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, Ginkgo BioWorks was already pivoting to that response even as far back as April, May. So we've invited you on the to join us on the podcast for an update on what Ginkgo Bioworks is doing in the response currently, especially in the realm of COVID-19 testing. And we'll get to that, of course. And then as you know, we eventually come out of the pandemic, what Ginkgo's role and the larger it will be in the larger bioeconomy and in the response and in the, the recovery from, from the pandemic. So again, welcome. So uh, first of all, some news. So within the last week or so, Ginkgo was uh, approved for a $1.1 billion loan or loan guarantee from the federal government to expand biosecurity and pandemic response. Can you explain what you mean by biosecurity in this context and you know what the role of the loan is and why it's important? What, uh, what will you use this facility for? Yeah, happy to. And, and maybe I'll give a little bit of, a little bit of context on, on sure. what Ginkgo is for the folks that don't know. So you know, we're about a, about a $4.5 billion dollar uh, market cap private company in Boston. And the core technology of Ginkgo is to program a cell like you'd program a computer. And the reason that's possible is because inside of every cell is digital code in the form of DNA. And at Ginkgo, we can read and write that DNA. And if you can read and write code and you have a machine that'll run it, you're programming, right? And so that so the core technology of Ginkgo has been, how do we make it cheaper and easier and faster to program a cell? So someday it's as easy as installing an app on your phone to, to make that cell do something new. Right. And, and, and so we sort of get bio, you know, how we got into COVID was sort of in, in two parts. One, we said, hey, we have this platform. How can we be useful to the folks that are developing therapeutics and vaccines and, and new types of testing? And, and so, for example, you know, Patrick probably mentioned we did a project with Moderna um, over four months to optimize their manufacturing process for their plasma DNA, uh, which is now um, uh, going to market as one of the first vaccines here in the U.S. soon. Right. Um, and the second reason we got excited about it was, look, if you're going to make it as easy to program cells as it is to program computers, just like computers have cybersecurity, we better invest in biosecurity. Right. Right. And so, that, so there's a long-term mission-driven interest in, at Ginkgo in, in biosecurity for that reason. What kind of biosecurity do you mean there? So when we think about cybersecurity, we think about people accessing data they shouldn't be. We think about people inserting malicious code. What's the bio kind of equivalent or analog to that? 
It's a great question. So, so you know, I, I think in part, uh, we're going to figure like you're, we're going to figure it out as we go. Um, but I think we have some pointers uh, in the in the sense that nature has thrown up some pretty uh, malicious biology, uh, and we're all living through a, a per, particularly sort of a hundred year uh, uh, level mm -hmm. piece of malicious code right now that that biology's tossed up at us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, to me, I think the, the primary focus uh, should really be around human infectious disease. I think I think that that is priority one. Uh, we know that biology is can do that. Um, we have a sense of the tools that you can use to fight it off. Uh, but we also recognize that it can occur at a scale. This is evident. And, and honestly, before COVID-19, I think there would have been more debate about this. But biology still has in its toolbox the ability to put the whole planet on its butt. Uh, mm -hmm. And we need to build better biosecurity so that that's not possible. Um, and so that that's really where we've focused. I think you can also imagine things like agricultural pests and food security, you know, like there's other areas, you know, biology obviously cleans our water, makes our atmosphere, produces our food. There's other parts of the bio of, of the ecosystem that you'd also want to make sure are secure. But I, I think absolutely uh, priority one should be in infectious disease. You know, it's fascinating that you put it that way. You know, it's about the, the malicious code in, uh, in terms of SARS-CoV-2, and that code's only 30,000 characters long, and, you know, and uh, uh, which is, yeah. a, you know, a handful of pages in a book. And the havoc that that's wreaking is really is is just breathtaking. So yeah, biology is good at uh, code compression, right? You know, like, like you know, you, yes, it is. humans like as much content as like a DVD, you know, right? right? So it's just it's amazing what biology does with a, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's had a few billion years to get good at at compressing. So so back to the back to the loan uh, news. Uh, so can I, can you talk a little bit about how about how you tend to use this or how you will access it? Yeah, so, so there's sort of two big categories that we, we are going to be using the capital for. Um, so one is to support the rapid development and manufacture of vaccines, right? right. So when you, uh -huh. when you have a new infectious disease, I think clearly mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the best tools, not the only one, it also depends what type of disease we're dealing with. You could have a bacterial disease, but like, let's take a you know, respiratory virus. One of the best tools at your disposal is going to be getting a vaccine out the door as quickly as possible. Right. And so I think we've had this amazing breakthrough with, with nucleic acid vaccines. Obviously, the first ones out the door are these mRNA vaccines. There's also DNA vaccines, where it looks like we're going to go from novel sequence of disease to widely distributed vaccine within like 18 to 24 months. Right. Right. You know, that that's incredible. Right. So, so that is now a new tool in the toolbox. And so that's one thing we want to do is the manufacturing supply chains for those uh, mm -hmm. have to get built right now mm -hmm. at, a, you know, they're up till now had never been one. Right. So unlike traditional vaccines, we don't have as robust of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So we, we want to work on optimizing how you produce the, the nucleic acid. Mm -hmm. And then there are certain enzymes that are critical in converting that DNA to RNA. We want to work on shoring up those supply chains as well. Uh, that That's really where our focus is on the, on the, supporting the manufacture of vaccines. And then right, for so the they, next pandemic, how do you make it even faster? What, what are the tools you can use, you know, subunit vaccines and things like that, that might help to um, uh, be new ways to get at this problem. That's another area we want to do on the vaccine side. Right. Uh, and then the second area is uh, testing, which I can talk about too. Okay. So, but just the, the, the last point I wanted to make about manufacturing is that not only is, you know, the, a lot of it starts with a chemical process, you know, the so-called phosphoramidite chemistry, but yeah. eventually you get to a point where you have full length copies and you need to make a bunch of those and biological means, enzymatic means is your, is your route to that sort of manufacturing at a population scale. 
Yeah, I mean, so so the, the process for manufacturing an mRNA vaccine is the, the first stage is you want to produce a lot of plasma DNA. Yes. And all that means is a small piece of DNA mm -hmm. that is inside of a, in this case, like a bacterial cell. So the bacteria has its own genome that might be 3 million letters long. And then you could have a small plasmid in there, thousands of letters long mm -hmm. that grows along with the cell. And that, that little piece of DNA is the one that encodes for the mRNA vaccine. So right. you grow up a, a tank of these bacteria, like running a brewery, basically, mm -hmm. like a fermenter. Mm -hmm. And then you extract that DNA out. And then in the lab, you do what you're talking about and you say, let's convert that DNA to RNA. Right. And that means you got to add enzymes into the, you got you know, certain things to make it look appropriate to a human cell, right. to cap it, and, and you need RNA polymerase to, to convert it. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, make the RNA. Mm -hmm. And then you got to wrap the RNA in, in sort of this lipid nanoparticle, which is some of the secret sauce of companies like Moderna, that then then it goes into into uh, distribution. And so, so those are kind of the three steps. And the two that we can help with are adjust how you grow and ultimately over time the host cells that overproduce that plasma DNA. Yep. And then um, make make more efficient the ends make those enzymes more efficiently and ultimately try to improve that process to convert to RNA. Yeah. Terrific. Well, certainly uh, your work is cut out for you now. And you guys have really been at it hammer and tongs since uh, for, for months now. Yeah. So in the meantime, while all that's going on, we have to do our best to keep people alive until we can get them vaccinated. Right. Yeah. And so testing is obviously a, a critical component of that function. So, you know, there's more than 200 tests that have uh, emergency use authorization from FDA right now. The field is crowded. People are making it just as fast as they can. It's being consumed at a furious rate. So lately, the need is growing as fast, if not faster, you know, than manufacturing. So talk about a little what Ginkgo is planning to do there, the, the, the Concentric program. Yeah, so Concentric's our, our, our testing brand, and this is the second use of capital for that loan. And the key thing to understand, Kevin, is there is, um, it, it's very confusing with testing because there's two ways you can use it. So one is... You have symptoms, COVID-like symptoms. Not you, but somebody has COVID-like symptoms. And uh, <laughs> not yet, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I've been caught. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you need to know: Do you have COVID nineteen? You need a clinical diagnostic test, right? And the purpose of that test is your personal healthcare. Mm -hmm. And this is super important because if you have symptoms, let me tell you: the thing you want to know is like, do I have COVID right now? And you want to know, right? Like. Mm -hmm. Because your doctor needs to make decisions and need to know if you have need a pulse oximeter and all these things, right? Like right. just uh -huh. usual, just like if you were like, I have chest pain, you'd want to go to the hospital and see like, hey, my, let me get my labs taken. Am I having a heart attack? So, so, so mm -hmm. you need clinical diagnostics. Totally separate use for testing in the midst mm -hmm. of a pandemic is to it, particularly one like this respiratory virus, which mm -hmm. spreads without symptoms, is right. to look for people without symptoms mm -hmm. who have it and don't know they have it. Yes. And the reason for that is you can break transmission chains mm -hmm. and you can actually use it to suppress the spread of the disease. And we have evidence that this works because a number of colleges in the fall did exactly this with their students. Mm -hmm. So University of Illinois, for example, 30,000 students, state school, right? And I don't know if you remember being in college, but I'll speak for myself. Not necessarily the most responsible population of people when it comes to social distancing and things Thank like God that. Thank God there were no smartphones in those days. <laughs> right, yeah. And, and so, but they tested everybody once a week. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so as a result, they didn't have runaway growth. They could track it. They knew when it was going up, they could implement policies. Mm-hmm. But then importantly, they could also quarantine people mm-hmm. without symptoms and, and before they spread to someone else. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that use of testing, we have not done in this country yet. Mm-hmm. We just have not. The, the, the schools and some of the universities did it. That's the mm-hmm. only group that has done it at any scale. And there it was only 6% of the universities. Right. In my opinion, if you're a governor or a mayor right now, the metric you should care about is how many of the households in your city or state are you testing once a week? Mm-hmm. Because inside the household, it spreads. Mm-hmm. So each household is kind of like a college student on that University of Illinois campus, and you want right. to test them all once a week. Uh-huh. And if you do, you can tell them to stay home when they have it, mm-hmm. and it'll reduce spread. Yep. And, we, and that, we haven't tried yet. Okay. And so that, that is what we've been focused on at Ginkgo is mm-hmm. what does it look like to do testing for people that don't have symptoms, which means you need to do it where they are. You yes. have to do it at a university. You have to do it at a workplace. You have to do it at a K through 12 school. And you have to do it at a higher throughput and lower cost than clinical diagnostics by a factor of 50, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just such a bigger number of people you need to test. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's the that's really where we've been focused because that to us is the biosecurity use mm-hmm. of testing rather than the clinical diagnostic use. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because clinical diagnostic, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. You're sick. You want to test. I get that. We don't want to be in that business. The business we want to be in is the biosecurity business. So this is a massive undertaking because it's not just, you know, the, the reading of the DNA, the reading of the RNA is obviously, you know, part of the Ginkgo core competency. But there's a whole logistical chain you have to get from the people into the ginkgo process. How is that kind of coming together? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's not a, a logistical infrastructure that exists uh-huh. prior to the pandemic, right? Yeah. You know, why uh-huh. would you be? Why would you? You know, we have uh, uh, in our office here a room where people can go and spit in a tube, and and it gets shipped off, or goes into our lab or, or to another lab to get tested, uh-huh. right? And that infrastructure has not existed. So we've had to build a digital tech layer. We've had to build training, ideally, so that you can have people on site do a lot of the testing or people to self-collect. That's really important for logistics, right? If you have to have a healthcare worker collecting everybody at your toast, right? So, so right. there's a whole set of constraints mm-hmm. once you approach the problem as how do I do this where people are right. instead of, oh, I'm going to go drive to a doctor. I'm going to go drive to a drive up facility with a healthcare worker. That, that doesn't work for testing people without symptoms. Right. And you'd like to use saliva rather than have the NP swab that goes deep in your head. All, yeah. yeah. It can be, it can be the, the, your two options are saliva or um, an AN swab, which is basically like a Q-tip. Right. So, okay. so all, both of those are totally fine for people mm-hmm. to do regularly. Yeah. Uh-huh. The NP is, is not a non-starter. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, you know, there was an interesting article in the New York Times about, you know, sort of the, the unseen population of laboratory test workers around the yeah. country and the, you know, the, the, the toll that this is taking on them because you guys are known to be automation wizards. In, in terms of lab flow and constructing workflows, you know, I, I presume that you're taking some of that, you know, some of the, the human elements in workflow design into account as you, as you build this structure. Yeah, I mean, Ginkgo's specialty is, is in automation. So in general, mm-hmm. our processes tend to be more human-like. But I, I, I think the rea- what that article's getting at is yes. just there's been, you know, getting the clinical diagnostic infrastructure in place at the scale we needed has been yes. a, an it's insane been. lift. Uh, and so it's put a lot of pressure on people, just like it's putting pressure on healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. So Ke- Kevin, I, you know, one, one topic I wanted to talk about if you're up for yeah, it was, was some of like, kind of like post COVID-19. Yes. If you're thinking mm-hmm. about sort of national security and defense, you know, mm-hmm. what does it mean? 
right? right. To, for us all to have just gone through this pandemic around the yeah. world. And, uh, and, and, and so, yeah, I'm kind of curious, you know, I'm happy to rip on, I'm curious how, how, <laughs> how you think about it a bit there. Do you think it's going to change how people think about biosecurity now that we've had, you know, it took out an aircraft carrier, it, you mm -hmm. know, knocked out the joint chiefs and the president for a couple of weeks, you know, right? right. Like, you know, like what, what, how, how do you think that, how do you think things change? So if the past is prologue, we, we will forget these lessons. Uh, I hope not. And there's a lot of people, including yourselves, you know, who are working hard to institutionalize what's going on right now in terms of the response. And that's the key here, right? We need to not only learn these lessons, but before we forget them again, we need to sort of, you need to create institutions around this and strengthen them mm. so that we maintain this capacity going forward. Because as you mentioned before, this is a hundred year event. Well, it's not really, I mean, it's hundred, it's a hundred year event at this scale, right? But we, you know, but in the last uh, 15 years, we've seen two uh, Ebola outbreaks, SARS, MERS, avian influenza, and any of those had the, the capacity to break out, you know, beyond the places where, you know, yeah. those, those outbreaks took place. Yeah. And, and any of them had the capacity at one point or another uh, to be much worse than they were. And so, interesting. Yeah. So finally, you know, one decent out, outcome of this outbreak may be that this is the time when we say, okay, this is enough and create, you know, a, a biodefense architecture and structure and infrastructure, not unlike the Department of Defense. Yeah. We will be back here. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That aligns with how I see it. I mean, it, it seems to me that after this, you know, biosecurity is national security. Right. right. You exactly. know, I mean, like this right. thing yeah. took out is it's going to have knocked our society and, and economy on its butt for mm -hmm. pushing two years, you know, yeah. right. Like that yeah. is a that is a big deal. Right. You know, I don't think it's the kind of I think there are people who do bring up things like all oh, the anthrax and stuff. But like this isn't the anthrax attack. No, you know, no, right? Like, not. I mean, it's, it's incomparable. Right. Right. The, uh, and, and so I, I think it's going to stick. I think that the, what I'm what I think is there's a unique window here mm -hmm. in the next six months, six to 12 months, where um, at least six to 12 months in the US and then probably the next two to three years internationally, mm -hmm. where building out biosecurity infrastructure mm -hmm. pays for itself, uh -huh. right? Like, the, the, like you, can, you can build it out and it will help you recover your economy during COVID-19. Like we're not done with this thing. Right. Uh -huh. Right. You know, like we're still every country in the, on the entire planet is economically depressed right now as a function of this by some amount. Mm -hmm. and, and whatever it would cost to build biosecurity infrastructure easily covered by the recovery. Yes. Right. And so so mm -hmm. I think there's an opportunity for the U.S. specifically to say, look, we're going to build biosecurity here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then we are going to export U.S. technology worldwide because. Biology doesn't respect borders. So, so if we don't build a global biosecurity infrastructure, we have no biosecurity infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? Like the U.S. can't just put up, you know, like our own little shield. It's not that it's not going to be that easy. That's with right. Biology, right. And and so so I think the um, I think we have this moment in the next again, really six to twelve months to to step into that leadership position, and then it'll be gone. Yep. Right. Um. And so so yeah, I'm I'm. Cautiously optimistic, we might go for it, um, but it, we haven't yet. And and with this loan, we're it's a baby step, but um, we want to start. And so what? So in between pandemics or serious outbreaks, sustains that infrastructure. So here is where I think the, the I'll, I'll step back and talk just about synthetic biology and the bigger right. trend I see happening mm -hmm. in biotechnology. Mm -hmm. Like without getting too far in the technical weeds, like the simple way to think about what we have at Ginkgo is it's like a data center. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how Amazon has these big data centers and they mm-hmm. use them to run, you know, movies, but then they also have the website on there and you can, you know, your hospital systems are on there. It doesn't matter what web kind of website you're running. It all runs through the same general purpose thing. Mm-hmm. That's the direction biotechnology is going. So yes. instead of having all these custom labs, that, hey, this is a lab just for treating this disease or this mm-hmm. is that it's going to turn, it's turning because of automation and, and software, mm-hmm. it's turning into these more general purpose data centers. Mm-hmm. And so the beauty is they can be used between pandemics just for commercial activity. Exactly. Right. Yes, that's right. You know? So the, right, yeah. In effect, the pandemic is going to jumpstart the bioeconomy if we build the infrastructure in this window that we have open to us now. 100%. Yes. Yeah. I think the countries that make this investment will not only be the ones who get to have their technology own worldwide biosecurity, they mm-hmm. will also have a leg up in what I think is going to be the relevant technology of the next century, which is, is synthetic biology and bioengineering. No question. Okay. Absolutely. I can't resist before we conclude here. The topic that we just discussed ultimately plays because it's economics and economics are you know, a, a fundamental feature of international competition. So will the bioeconomy be part of that and part of great power competition. What do you th- how do you see the U.S. as positioned to really excel in that great power competition by leveraging its bioeconomy? So I think we have the lead now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not a foregone conclusion that we can keep it. Yes. And I think if we don't lean into the global response in the next six to 18 months to COVID, mm-hmm. other countries will. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a huge lever for determining who ends up winning you know, if you want to think of it that way, uh, or at least uh, having a little more leverage over this emerging bioeconomy. Um, I, I, I really do. I, th- I think the next six to 18 months are some of the most important in the history of biotechnology. Yep, absolutely. So thank you for that. I believe that's close to all the time that we have. I could talk to you all afternoon about That's just fun. I know. Returning to the topic of testing for a moment, while the surging number of cases in the US is, uh, is quite alarming, testing for COVID-19 is more important than ever. But testing alone isn't sufficient. Social distancing, wearing a mask, limiting travel, all worked to decrease the spread of COVID-19 earlier this year and can still work to decrease the spread of disease through all the means that Jason mentioned when he talked about the university examples. And and there are some great success stories uh, in in the midst of this. I want to thank Jason, again, CEO and co-founder of Ginkgo Bioworks, and our producers, Kristen Zender and Carrie Sassine, and our terrific recording engineer, Matt from HeartCast Media. Until next time, please be safe and stay well.